welcome to another episode of the Dibbly Dobblers podcast and happy 2022. Another year. We survived. We did, yes. Um, the, the people might not be happy about that, but you know, <laughs> we're here for another year. Do you know what's the great thing? And it's something we'll speak about later. As of now, no England opener has scored a duck this year. Oh my days. <laughs> I mean, Zach Crawley made a good go of it. <laughs> but, you know, good on you, Mitchell. Good lad. <laughs> Snuck that foot over the line. That's how you really do, Matt. That's how you do spot fixing, son. Good job. <laughs> Minimal. <laughs> None of this, Mohammed. The mere stuff. Just get over there a wee bit. Oh, Done like a pro. But no. yeah, well, that's a bit of good news. I mean, that's about the only good news we've got, but you know, we'll get on to that in the near future. So, Andrew, any New Year's resolutions? No. Got to ask? Uh, none. Nah, I just don't stick to them, so why bother? What about you? Um, no, none either. That was Eng- a great, great content. I know, it was. I thought, <laughs> I thought we might have something. And uh, yeah, maybe stick to a, a cricket club for longer than one season. That could be my New Year's resolution. You managed two at the last one, eh? Oh, that's true. One of them kind of didn't count, but no, it was two, so that, yeah. that's true. That's true. Oh, well, success. Yeah. Already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, right, what have we got coming up today? Well, you've not even introduced us, you know that. You've not even done that. Uh, you haven't even called yeah. me a secondary host yet. I know. Well, just it's coming. Just you wait. <laughs> so, yes, I am your primary host, Callum, as always. <laughs> and as always, joined with, by my secondary host, uh, what are you, producer and dinner lady, Andrew? You alright? <laughs> that always works better when we do it at the start. It does, I know. That. But we you got know, but there. Here so we are. Yeah. So, so. It, it, it is what it is. It, it is, indeed. Um, so, there's been a few retirals in the world of international cricket over the last there has, week or there so. Has. Um, so, I think the first one down was Ross Taylor. Uh, yeah, Ross Taylor. Um, no great surprise in that one. No, I think, 37. to be fair, I mean, two of them, I've got Ross Taylor and Mohamed Hafiz. Guys, I mean, Ross Taylor, 37-year-old. Mohamed Hafiz, 40, very young age of 41. Yeah, um, older s- than Jimmy. Older than yeah. Jimmy. <laughs> I think, to be fair, though, it's the fact that Jimmy's a fast bowler, or well, seam bowler, yes. um, is probably the thing that um, makes what he's done or is doing so special um, getting to that age but I mean Ross Taylor to I mean stalwart of the New Zealand team yeah you know being with the New Zealand team to a lot of their success um, I mean test average 40 well just shy of 45 seven and a half thousand runs ODI 48 is his average um, eight and a half thousand runs Quality a legend, yeah, and represented the you know the. I I want to say the Maori people. I think it is the Maori people. Um, Not sure how that's broken down. If that's a bit insulting, potentially, but um, certainly you know, I think I think it is the Maori people. You know, in in that New Zealand setup as well. So, quality player. Yeah, Um, can look back with great success. Second most catches for New Zealand. from a non-wicketkeeper as well. Yeah. So, well, I've yeah. got a, a wee... I looked at a wee interesting record on him. So, he has the third most games 
without getting a duck, which I thought was quite in test cricket, uh, which I thought was quite impressive feat given that he's a you know top order batsman. What? So he never got a duck? No, no. So before it was his, his sorry, first before, before his first duck, one. Sorry. Right. Um, is it? Yeah. <laughs> a fifty-eight game. So he's level wow. with Clive Lloyd for that. So a wee bit of trivia here, Andrew. Do you know who's ahead of him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Give me nationalities and not so least have a guess. So it's a South African and a Sri Lankan. Let's have a guess at Sangakara for the Sri Lankan. No. Right, Ira? No. Right, Don't I'm even think he would have played with Sangakara. It's like early Sri Lankan. Yeah, I'm not getting that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at his initials. I'm hopefully not going to make myself look like an idiot here. I'm pretty sure it's Aravinda de Silva. Right, um, okay. So he managed 75 innings before he got a duck. Wow, and then He's South second African. on the list. South African batsman. I've no idea. No idea. No. This is very surprising. It's A.B. de Villiers. Wow. Given how he bats... That's very surprising. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so um, De Villiers, 78 innings. Before he got his first start. Before duck. he got his first start. Wow, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, um, so, so there's a wee bit of trivia for you. Um, De Villiers probably links quite well to our third retiree, but we need to wait for him. So, um, Mohamed Hafiz, again, another quality player. Yeah. Better. White ball player, I think it would be fair to say. Yeah, I think than, so, yeah. Um, we came about opening... I think he opened the batting in test matches. Handy off-spin bowler, but he's, I think I think it would be reasonable enough to say that his success has more been in, with the white ball. Decent test player. Um, but, well, this isn't my fact about him, but when you go on his Crick Info profile, <laughs> he has the most teams... I, I need to go on to Chris Gales, because I need to, cause he, that boy's played for a lot of teams as well. He, he has. He's is listed... Against forty different teams, and that doesn't—that won't include any of the T10 stuff he's played. Probably some of the T20s. He's, he's probably been involved in leagues similar to like the US Open and things like that. Yeah. So I mean, that boy's been about. Um. So interesting fact on him is that he is only one of eight men to be out obstructing the field in an ODI. Can you name another? Man, I'm not going to make your name seven. But oh, there was, was one. It, was it Jason Roy that was given out obstructing in the field? No. Or was it Josh Butler? It was Ben Stokes. It was Ben Stokes. It was one of them. <laughs> Should never have been out, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I knew there was a recent England one. <laughs> and actually, the most recent occurrence of... Uh, oh, it, was, it was last year. It's because it highlighted in green. I thought it was sometime recently, but it's not. It was March 2010. March 2010, that was nearly... 2010? Uh, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was the 10th of March. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but uh, also um, Ben Stokes. So, there you go. There's, there's a little bit of factoid for the, for the viewers, stroke listeners. Yeah. And yourself, Andrew. Fantastic. Well, that I appreciate comes up that. in a pub quiz. You're going to know <laughs> that. Strict in the field. Don't think that's going to come up in pub How quizzes around here. How many people have been out? <laughs> Um, gonna yeah. host a pub quiz and just ask that question <laughs> just to be like well I knew the answer <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so I said AB de Villiers links on to our third retiree um, 
in that he was a captain, wicketkeeper and batsman for South Africa. And yeah. who is our third retiree, Andrew? Yes, yeah, so we're retiring from Test cricket at the grand old age of 29. Um, is Quinton de Kock. Quite surprised when I saw this because I don't understand it, if I'm being honest. You're amazed by de Kock. <sighs> we're really doing that again. Well, it's got to. I mean, I am juvenile, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, now that that's out of my system. Indeed, right, yeah. So, 29 years old, 50, yep. how, many, how many tests? 54 test matches, 3,300 3, runs exactly, average 38.82, six hundreds and 22 fifties, 221 catches and 11 stumpings. Thank I'm you, Stats Man. <laughs> um, yeah, twenty nine years old, prime of your career for a batsman, anyway. Yes, yeah, I would agree. Um, one thing I didn't look up is I, I actually don't know if it is the prime of his career. I want to say that his average has gone downhill. Yeah, but possibly on. When it comes to him, yeah, but it should be, yeah, what is it they say, 29 to 32 ish, yeah, is kind of when a batsman should peak, yeah, it should um, do. We should be in the peak of our batting careers, I'm <laughs> in the peak of my eating career <laughs> and drinking career. So. Oh, no, I'm still on my way up with the eating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I could get, no, actually, I find it my, I do find myself not going up for fourths as often <laughs> as I used to, so. I mean, uh, before Christmas we went out to a buffet, I mean, that was the, the misery three full plates I had. Yeah, but you had plenty of fluids. <laughs> well, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. We won't um, talk about that on air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so he uh, cited family as the reason. Yeah. Um, they're awaiting the birth of their first child. Just Well... Even before this series, he was due to miss the second test, yep. which just finished today um, between South Africa and India, to be at the birth of his second child, I think. Second child, right. Or is okay. it the first? I thought it was his first child. Maybe it's the first. Anyway, he was missing the test for the birth of his child. Um, I mean, and it, on the surface of it, it's it almost goes, okay, can maybe understand that. Family, commitments... Where my sympathy for this then starts to diminish is that the most test matches he's played in one year has been 12 in 2017. Over the last 10 years, South Africa have played about eight test matches per year. You'd maybe argue that maybe jumps to nine because COVID obviously hit last year. It would maybe boost the average up. So even if we go nine test matches a year. Yeah. If you consider that this guy also then goes away and plays in the IPL and he will is continuing to play white ball cricket, is test matches really the thing that's causing him to be missing time with his family? Yeah, I can see the question in that but if you, I suppose if you are an all round touring test match cricketer and even home test matches at the moment are played in bubble 
yeah atmospheres um then he probably is missing sort of five months of the year to test cricket five months of the year do you think yeah i do well if they're playing about what are they playing about three series a year must be what they're playing by the time about you count three for warm-ups don't want to play a lot of warm-ups nowadays. No, but they still get they'll still get together a couple of weeks before the series, I bet. And even if they're played back to back, that's five weeks for a three match series. And well, back to back, it's four for the three games. Yeah, and no, then that's two. Fair so, point. That's okay, fair. so so six weeks, call it, per series. Yeah, okay. No, that's so fair there point. you are four and a half but is months he, at least. Is he not still gonna miss a lot of that time? Through white, but you know, if yes, he goes on tour, it's not all of it. It's not like he's going to turn up at the end of the test matches and rock up for the white ball and stuff. Well, but he's still going to go to the IPL. Yeah, and he's still going to. I don't. Does he? He played in the hundred last year, or was he due? No, he did play in the hundred, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. So there's another month away. Yeah, but so that's but I suppose that's part of what my point is, though. Is it's yeah, I think the family reason is a valid enough excuse. I'm not going to criticize a man for wanting to spend time with his children. I don't personally want to do it, but you know, some people enjoy that kind of thing. So, um, and it does just ring shades a little bit of ultimately. He's decided that test match cricket is the least important thing to him. Yeah. Um, and the relative is from a money point of view, which in the end of the day is under money for his family, in terms of returns for playing test matches and no longer playing test matches against continuing to play white ball cricket and franchises, it's probably the most financially sensible option as well. But... Um, what I did find was uh, Dean Elgar's comments. He gave a obviously interviews in the in the aftermath, and I found this. Hopefully, it doesn't come back one day, and he still wishes he was part of our red ball setup. Which I found that a very interesting comment. Almost like you're not going to be welcome back. If yeah, you it's like back. you've made your decision. Yeah, you're only twenty nine, but even if eighteen months down the line you decide actually I do want to be part of the red ball setup. That door is closed immediately. Is the way that that reads? Yeah, I mean, from the of, captain. Some of what I was reading does suggest that there are sort of South African people. Sean Pollock was one of them. Came out and said he doesn't believe this will be the end of Test match cricket. For, yeah. Um, and compared it to the AB de Villiers. Yeah, and we have seen this in the past. With South Africa, have suffered from it especially. The the reality of it is, is it's probably because there's not the money in the in cricket in South Africa. That's you know, do we realistically see that one of the one of the players from the big three would do this? I don't think so. I know we have seen players step away from red ball cricket, but yeah. I don't believe we've seen it in these circumstances. Almost like I'm still perfectly capable of playing Test match cricket, but I'm just not going to yeah i'm from a, st- a star player i mean he's still he's still the key wicket i mean elgar's probably up there now yeah um but yeah i mean he's still one of the absolute he's probably still 
the batsman in that lineup, you would go, he is the one that could just tear us to pieces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, having said that, did they miss him? They didn't miss him. <laughs> they certainly did not. Um, for those who don't know what we're talking about, South Africa today completed a <coughs> seven-wicket victory. In a, a really impressive seven-wicket victory against India. Against India um, inside four days. Yep, um, fairly low-scoring game. Yeah, which actually probably made the fourth innings even more impressive. Um, and you, I think you watched the sort of closing part of it. I yeah, I watched sort of the last couple of hours... Um, they chased down 240-odd, yep. 248, something like that. Um, and so I switched on and they were two wickets down, needed about 70-odd runs. Um, van der Dusen and Elgar at the crease. Um, van der Dusen's wicket then fell. And there was a spell where they were still far enough away. They were still 60-odd runs away. Yeah. Where you thought, if there's a little cluster here, India are still right in this. Yeah, I think if Bavuma's wicket, or either of the two that were in, his wicket had fallen, in the end of the day, you've got, uh, it's terrible, Varian, the new wicket keeper. Um, yeah, I think he batted well in the first innings. Yeah, he, he, he sort of went in, um, sort of grinded it out. He scored most, I watched some of his innings, and he, he actually scored about... He was like on 14 very quickly or roughly mm. 14 and then he really had to grind it out. Yeah. Um, and then Marco Janssen. But I mean, I think it would be fair to say that probably, he, I mean, Janssen looks like a bit of a hitter. Um, he's probably got a bit of quality about him. He is still very, very young. But you you really are into sort of bowlers and inexperienced players as well. So if you'd have lost one of them, yeah, they could have easily been in a tricky situation. But they just romped home they did and uh, what actually really impressed me with, with the final partnership was the rate at which they scored as well um so the last partnership uh if i just bring that up in front of me was uh so between elgar and bavuma 68 runs they put on f uh, in 83 balls elgar scoring 37 off 38 within that partnership mm -hmm. um the indian bowlers towards the end did go to pot a little bit as well. Right. There's a lot of extras. Um, and Siraj in particular looked to lose the head. Even after he came off from bowling, he always well, he seemed say, to be he, well involved. He was injured in the first innings. I think he came back to bowl again in the, ne the next day, but yeah. he had gone off injured. I suppose one thing we do have to say, as much as you know, it's great that South Africa won, India losing is always something I enjoy seeing. <laughs> Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. Takur has got seven for sixty-one in the first innings. So yeah. I mean that you you got kind of got to commend them for that. I have to be honest, I did watch it and I didn't or watched a decent chunk of the seven. I didn't exactly think it was, you know, it was a bit like bowling in the Ashes that we'll talk about later. It's not like you went, that was unplayable. Like, you know, it was... You just put it in the right spot and the batsmen yeah. got themselves out. Yeah. and But credit where credit's due still. You continued to put it in the right spot. The book still says 7 for 61. So, so yeah, um, 243 for 3 was the second innings total. Uh, only the 
Did you say it was the third highest run chase against India? The third highest run chase that India had conceded and the highest since the 70s. Which... It, that did surprise me, I have to be honest. Because, okay, India have probably always been a tricky opposition in India. Yeah. You know, when the ball's ragging in the fourth innings. But away from home, I'm surprised they've never been in positions to lose in that manner. Because they really, for a long time, didn't have a bowling attack suited yeah. t- to bowling abroad. So, um, that's kind of surprising. But... Um, yeah, well done to South Africa. Certainly a scalp on their cap. Um, and I see that Twitter has gone mad claiming that because Kohli's back for the next game, India will just become the dominant force again. But Mitchell Stark averages more with a bat since the start of 2019 than Virat Kohli. So. Quality batsman. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. So speaking of once upon a time, Another test match win for an unfancied team, Bangladesh, against world test champions, New Zealand. Yeah, and not really an understrength New Zealand as well. Kane Williamson wasn't playing. Yeah, which is a mess, of course. Everyone else was. And they're at home. Yeah. I mean, if you'd have seen Bangladesh beat, to be fair, more or less anyone now in Bangladesh, you might have gone, fair enough, but... Um, you know, oh, it's surprising, but yeah, fair enough. absolutely. To go to New Zealand, where your spinners are not going to be that favoured, that's some achievement. Yeah, a fantastic result from Bangladesh. Was it Edabo? Is that his name? Ebado? Edabo, oh, I, I think. I can't remember. But um, who, coming into the test, had an average of something like 80 as a bowler. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seam bowling in Bangladesh notoriously not great. <laughs> yeah, but not yeah. that the bo- and I actually think they've had some decent bowlers over the years. But I mean, when you yeah, you're, you've not got the yeah, you're like not you're not getting a helping hand. I, it's like the amount of seam bowlers you see, especially with the red ball in Sri Lanka and things. It's yeah. just a nightmare. So indeed, well done to Bangladesh. Gives hope to small nations like Scotland for when we rise up and crush the English. You've just called Bangladesh a small nation. In with their terms. 160 million population. <laughs> um, tiny. <laughs> <laughs> this is a conversation you and I had, though, actually, just on the back of that, is at some point, Bangladesh are going to have a very, very good team. Their population's too big for them not to. Yeah, I mean, if the stars can align for, like, New Zealand... to No, okay, I know New Zealand are sports mad, but if it can align for a country yeah. like New Zealand... It aligns for the West Indies to put together a good team. It has to, at some point, align for Bangladesh. It does, yeah. Um, and I'll be happy to see it. Yeah, the more the merrier, really. The, th- the more teams that can put together a, yeah. a competitive side. But I feel the like better. the way they perform, you know, the way they go about things is quite, you know, they seem to go about things well on the pitch, which is nice yeah. to see. Um so, yeah, so speaking of, you know, I spoke about when Scotland rise up and crush England. I mean, Scotland may not do that, but, you know, to Aust- segue in <laughs> to the Ashes, to <laughs> Australia certainly at present know how to crush the English. Um, yes, they do. I feel like we should have had some, like, sort of thunder crack or something doom music playing over the back of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, we're not going to go into what's going on. England are well and truly getting thumped 
and I don't think we need to dissect the yeah. scorecard by scorecard of what's going no. on there. Ash is lost in a record small number of overs. So I heard a stat that England <laughs> quarantined for longer than it took them <laughs> to, to lose, lose the Ashes. The ashes. <laughs> Uh, how depressing to be England um, so yeah so we've had a couple of standouts uh, Scott Bowen came in 6 wickets for 7 on test debut that was after Jai Richardson got dropped after 5 5 for he would probably be knighted if he was English but Australia dropped him instead so um, I'm lucky to him yeah Um <laughs> And England managed to finish the year with 54 ducks. Tying the record. Tying the record. From 1998, I think. Um, oh, that was also a notoriously strong English team. Yeah. Um, this this English side is every bit as bad as late 90s England. No, I actually think as individuals, the late 90s England team probably had better... Uh, with the bat, I think it's probably a better bowling unit than... Well, this English bowling unit isn't that bad. It, it holds its own. Yeah, it's doing all right when they pick the right bowling lineup, but yeah, but that's a different issue, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> it. And um, just put it out there now. Let's just sack Chris Silverwood. But there we go. Um, <laughs> so we were doing our predictions of who we thought would get most runs, who we thought would get most wickets. I think we, I think, managed to figure out who on an overall level. To. Yeah. So I, I thought that. Josh Hazelwood would get the most wickets in the series. Is that good? Well, he got injured first yeah, well, didn't well, he? Luck. You put Ollie Robinson. How's that going? Uh, better than Josh Hazelwood. So, um, is, is he at, playing though? At the point of <laughs> at the point of where we've done up to, he is currently England's leading bowler. Okay, he so, is, but um, he has been dropped for the fourth test. Well, Sacra Silverwood. I've already said it. Um, so let's see what what are the top wicket takers and we'll bring that up on screen for you so leading wicket takers in the series so far Mitchell Stark leading the way a man that was under pressure at the start yeah, of the series yeah I was going to say that I mean Richardson was talked about maybe for the first test but Stark has with Cummings and um, Hazelwood going down for test two I mean he stepped yeah. up to the plate um, and and that, but that's the reality that's how good he is I mean, England could only dream of having Mitchell Stark. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, most countries in the world, for any of those three, would give their right arm to have them in their attack. It kind of tells you how good he is. And But I think that's a big thing for a big player, is you step up when your team needs you. Yeah. So he's got 14 wickets in the series so far, at an average of 19.64, so a smidge under 20. Um the top five is dominated by Australians. Uh, Nathan Lyon, 12 at 21.75. Pat Cummins, 10 at 14.4, having missed a test having match as well. Uh, Ollie Robinson, 9 at 26. And Scott Boland was one of three bowlers um, on seven wickets, joined with Cam Green and Jimmy Anderson. Yep. Cam Green has a ridiculous... It's like 11. Yeah. Jimmy's like... 14.6 or something so yeah. I mean all of all them doing pretty well I mean yeah. Boland's there on one inning on one spell he, he is but Boland makes it onto our list with the lowest average of 7.86 um, so none of us have picked a bowler that's in the top three 
So we'll move on to the bars. <laughs> well, I would like to point out, I did have Robinson and I Australia's top bowler as Cummings. So I, I'm going to say I'm doing better than you. On that one, you are. I, I'll take that. Batsman. You said that Marnus Labuschagne would be the highest run scorer. Oh, he's doing all right. And I said that Joe Root would be the highest run scorer. And we'll look at our list. In fifth place, you've got David Milan, 202 runs at 33.67. Well, I said he'd be the top English player. So you did say he'd be the not top. not that far away. But you were still wrong. Marnus Labuschagne. Uh, fourth, 229 at 57.25. 57.25, his average. That's poor. And they have words with him. David Warner, 240 at 60. That's because they didn't play Stuart Broad in the first test. Yeah, I would agree. So, sat Chris Silverwood. Well, Broad should have been in first up because there was the whole... The well, I mean, we said it should have been in. Yeah. He lives but in I Warner's th- head. I think most of the nation said that Stuart Broad should have been in, but he wasn't. I think most of Australia would have thought... Well, I think the newspaper headlines thought he was going to be playing. Yeah. So, yeah. And speaking of in his head, in second place, Travis Head. 248 <laughs> at 62. Um, and then leading the way on the run scorers chart, but not on the averages chart, because he's had more opportunities to bat. Uh, Joe Root, 253 runs at 42.17. Ah, that'll be over soon enough. Don't worry about it. This is... It's been typical England. Oh, it really does. When you look at the averages, I said this when we were looking at the stats, it sums it up. Root, plenty of runs. Next place. Okay, Milan's doing all right, but, I mean, he's still only averaging low 30s. Yeah. And then the rest are garbage. Yeah, th- the third highest run scorer is being outscored by Mitchell Stark. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's chronic. So, um, there were some comments from Stuart Broad. It was actually it was after the first day of the current Test match, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... Because um, it was after... Was it f- no, just, after the second day. Yeah, it was just, it was like... Last came night. Out. Yeah, because it was after he took his five for. Yeah. And he basically sort of said, England need to stop worrying about picking for the future because ultimately if you don't win what's in front of you, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think that's kind of the point we want to pick up on is that, you know, we're talking about the selection policy um, of England. I think it's been heavily, heavily criticised. Um, and I'm sure the ramifications of that we'll, we'll discuss once maybe the series is finished in, in more detail. But um, do England have a problem of picking for the future instead of picking for the here and now? Uh, I think it's a really hard one. Because, pardon me, you actually look at... Look at the batting side. Yep. Are they picking for the future or are they picking for the here and now? So if we go through the lineup, you've got Hamid and Crawley at the top, who are both young and for the future. The for the here and now option was Rory Burns, but he didn't he, perform. He didn't perform, so him being dropped was justified, and that was a performance for the uh, a dropping for the here and now, because you dropped him for Crawley, whose game should suit batting in Australia. 
But you've got Hamid, whose game clearly doesn't. Yes, but suit. at the point of him being dropped, I think Barnes was the right one to be dropped. Yeah, okay. Okay. Whether you would now argue that coming into the fourth test, mm-hmm. Barnes should have replaced Hamid again, that's probably a fair point. But I don't think there's a huge amount of the them definitely picking for the future over the here now because both options are crap. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, no, that's... Okay. that's then, the, the rest of the batting lineup at the moment is Milan, Root, Stokes, Bairstow, Butler. They although, are... Although, I suppose there's an argument to say the first two tests were Ollie Pope. So, Ollie Pope, who was touted as sort of a dead set to play in Australia because he dominates on the flat wicket at the Oval, so therefore would be able to dominate in Australia. So that again, I think certainly on the batting side of it, they're picking for the here and now because these guys aren't young players who have their whole career ahead of them. They're either... Well, Well, Milan is a here and now pick. You're not picking him for the future. He's 33, 34. Well, that's the point though, is that all five of those guys from three down to seven are north of 30. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. No. That's, so that's. So reasonable. I think on the batting side, no, I don't think there is an issue with picking for the future rather than here and now. On the bowlers, there is definitely more of a discussion because England, although they've done it for the fourth test, um, are very reluctant to pick Broad and Anderson in the same side. And played together in the second test. They did, yes. Yeah. But, but still, that's, as a been, point. that's been a rare because uh, to be fair, Broad's point is not purely on the Ashes. It has been a longer period of time than that. Yeah. Um, the of it is on the bowling front, the pick that I probably disagree with most is probably a here and now pick in a lot of ways in that Jack Leach is playing. And I sort of my view on it is that I think if you're going to play a spinner that isn't just root with Milan throwing down a few overs, maybe including Dan Lawrence in the team instead or whatever, is Don Bess. But that's purely, that's as much due to what he brings out with the ball rather than going, he's young, so let's pick him. I actually think if you're doing a future pick with a spinner, England should be backing Matt Parkinson. Yeah, there's probably an argument. I don't think Matt Parkinson's game suits Australian wickets is what and I think that has cost him. I think that's part of the I think there is a view that Parkinson bowls leg spin too slowly to work. Because uh, and I, I can see where that point is. He yeah. tends to bowl about forty five miles an hour with the red ball. I mean just for test match cricket anywhere in the world, that's probably too slow in the modern game. He probably needs to work on getting up. But they're still I can say pick for the future. We take him to Australia, let him see that. Um so yeah, no, I actually do think, you know, when you go through it, there is a bit of a flaw in Broad's argument. I think there's probably more of an argument for when England are playing at home than because you, you could I think there's definitely an argument to say at home that Broad and Anderson are in your best lineup and they're very reluctant to pick them together. Absolutely, yeah, I would agree with that. For me, your bowling attack at home is Broad, Anderson and Wokes. Those three are a dead set for me. Yeah, then you work out who else you're picking. Yeah. No, and I would agree with that, but the problem is is 
and I think yeah, Broad is maybe not picking the right time to make that point. It isn't like they've turned round and they've got a lineup of Hamid Crawley, Pope's batting three, and Dan Lawrence's yeah. batting at six. Um, I don't know, some youngster's got the gloves on. You know, it, they've not done that. They, you can't argue that England are losing this because they've picked an experienced side. Because these are guys in the prime of their career. They are. Because if you look through it, there's Ollie Robinson is the youngest of the bowling group. Yeah, I believe. So, yeah. Well, but he's if not. If you exclude Don, Be- I think he, Don Best might be younger. Best, I believe, is younger. Yes, yeah. but of the bowlers that have played, yeah, that have played, yeah, Robinson is the youngest. Them, even he is what twenty five or something like that. Yeah, it's I mean, not, not like he's, he's a youngster. Not, yeah, he's not just broke onto the scene. Or yeah, anything. the rest of them are all very experienced international bowlers. So there are absolutely fundamental issues with the English Test team at the moment. The issue is not that they're picking players for the future rather than players for the here and now. Yeah, I, th- I think that as much as I'm, you know, I'm sort of made the, the jab at Sachs Silverwood, it's England also just lack the play- players to, they just don't have the players to pick to suit bowling in Australia. Yeah, it's a fundamental problem. Is, yeah, that's the issue. Um, and I mean, I am assuming Ollie Robinson has been rested more than dropped. Oh, I would think so. He looked quite goosed by the end of the third test. You'd argue it is a bit of a longer break between the tests, but I'm assuming we will probably see Robinson and and. But given how they've performed so far in the series, there has to be an argument to say, well, it should be Broad, Anderson, and Robinson should be your three seamers. And I mean, Broad's just taken a five for Anderson's been doing. F- I mean, and Robinson and Anderson are the only ones that have really been doing well. Yeah, Woods done okay, and Root has done okay. Leach should go home. Yeah, and you pick Wokes as a batsman. And you pick <laughs> Wokes as a batsman because I put some stats together earlier. We were looking at them, didn't get a graphic for putting up on the screen. But if you take their first class batting. And okay, you have sort of well, sort of average by on runs, but runs Wokes played more tests. Wokes is a better has better stats than Hamid and Crawley. Yeah, I do think that Wokes will be inflated by not outs at the tail end of the innings. Well, you know, but if those openers stuck about, they'd have not outs as well. <laughs> no, it's a tough job, but the point yeah. is, is actually his batting statistics are better over his career than the guys that were picking yeah, to open up. Absolutely, and. You just, I know it's a bit of a left field thing, but I just, it, it's just one of these things where it just feels like England are rolling out and just doing the same thing and for some reason expecting something different to happen. And hell, if it is throwing Chris Wilkes in the open, who, I mean, try something. <laughs> because the one thing that Hamid has never shown me and then really throughout his fairly short career so far, admittedly, I just don't look at him and go, you're going to win a match for England. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's you're the least bad opener. It's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, whereas Chris Wilkes has won a match for England with the bat. Yeah. So I mean, I mean it was alongside Joss Butler. <laughs> well, I'd be dropping him as well, but, you know, that's... Uh, but if, if Butler justifies his place, 
as a batsman. I mean, surely there's an argument to say Wokes does. Um, yeah, yeah, I would agree. It's just, it's misery. But I don't think Stuart Brown's point, I think you've made kind of a good point that I don't think he's right. Yeah. Um, but good bowling anyway, Stuart. Just he did bowl fantastically well, as Stuart Broad often does. Um, he also made a jibe at the batsman, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, yes, he said it, it wouldn't come down to the bowlers if the batsman could score more than 140, yeah. pretty much. I mean, given that they have failed to take 20 wickets in the last nine tests, then maybe they should also have a look at themselves. It's an all-round issue. Yes, and I thought that was very, very telling, that that is a unit that is fractured. Yeah, they keep telling us that they're very together, but it it just doesn't seem that way. No, and I think, as I say, that's a discussion we'll have in further detail. So, very quickly... Have we got time for this bit? Yeah, just quickly. Yeah, yeah, quickly. Right, so who do you see from the current squad? We'll go with the squad. Who do you see from the current squad going to the West Indies? Oh. <laughs> oh no, oh. Do you know what? Most of them. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. Um, I would be bringing Ben Folks in as wicketkeeper. Yep. I mentioned Matt Parkinson. I'd be bringing him in. I, I think for the West Indies, I think, yes. Um, openers, there just seems to be no talent. And I actually think, contrary to Stuart Broad's point, I actually think now is the time to go, look, we've hit rock bottom. Let's just put the youth out there and give them a shot of rebuilding. Well, do, do and well, therefore, do you stick with Hamid and Crawley? Do you actually go, we think you two are young enough we're backing you to have talent. We're just going to stick with you. Yes, I do. And Rory Burns is done. Yeah, he's the... I mean, Rory Burns has been close to being done for the past two years. But he is also England's second highest run scorer last year. That's probably my yeah, just ju- Just ahead games. of extras. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> but you, you, you still also have to kind of judge him against his peers, even if they are extras. Um <laughs> It's yeah, no, I do, I do get the point. Um, I mean, Dan Lawrence is a guy that's been hanging around on the periphery for a, a while, or well, a reasonable amount of time now. I mean, does he? I like Dan Lawrence batting at seven. Not bat, as, uh, batting at, yeah. if he bats seven, but then your your wicketkeeper bats six, and I think Folks is good enough to bat six. But is I just I Folks is more of a uh, Lawrence probably should be batting. Possibly, he's, he's but I don't know. I just I I think that the thing that Lawrence gives is he's really impressed me when he's batted with the tail. Yeah, no, no, I can see I see that argument, and um, I actually would. Now it's a difficult job in Test match cricket, but I genuinely wonder if folks to three is an option. I don't like a keeper batting three No, and that's, that's, well, we'll just give Bairstow the gloves, no. Um, or Bairstow going to three. I just, I uh, wonder, see, I, is, is Milan an option to open? He, he is an option. I, I also think maybe you probably want experience somewhere in your top three, don't you? Yeah, but or do you go to the well and say Josh Bohannon or someone else from the oh, county yeah. game? Or you bring someone like that in, you know. Someone who's impressed, yeah. Someone, like, and... They need to rebuild, and it'll be an interesting one to see. I, you know, I think that's something I would, 
I personally would be considering for I know this jump back on the ashes, but I'd be considering for test for the fifth test, I'd be considering Milan to open the batting. Bearstow moving up to three by virtue of he has some experience batting yeah. at three. I don't believe they're gonna but either gonna drop Joss Butler. As I said on Twitter, I think he would have to punch Joe Root in the face or something like that to actually <laughs> get dropped. Yeah. Um so that he's not gonna move. And I'd be giving Lawrence a test match because you've brought him out there. The alternatives haven't done anything. Yeah. So give him a go. Like give the lad a go. Put Hamid in the bin, at least for one test, and just try and salvage some pride. Um because I don't see how Milan at two and Bearstow at three is going to produce any worse a result than the current top order is. Well, ultimately, Milan's used to facing the new ball anyway. He oh, usually comes in in the first couple of overs. Second ball, the Ashes. Yeah. Milan was... <laughs> exactly. So he knows yeah. all about it. So, yeah, it, it's pretty poor times. But there is talent in England uh, with the bat. There's talent in England with the ball maybe to a lesser I think actually the depth after the England the top level is maybe a little bit lacking. Yeah. Um but it is still there. Um I think Bryden Cars Bryden Cars yeah. yeah. I think we may have if he hadn't gone home injured, I think we would have seen him in this series. I do think it's interesting as well that no it's a it's a it's a, a discussion for another time, but they didn't use the uh, the the Lions squad to the potential that they could have done. I think COVID is probably the answer to that, but it, it's but like, that that was why they were there. Well, I know, but I, but I think, and this will be a podcast for another time. But I think that is because the top management of England they can't just blame the players. There is actual management issues. Oh, there's a fundamental issue within within England's BCB. BCB and that needs to be addressed. But I think that's a good time for us to wrap up this podcast because that will be a discussion for another time. Thank you, as always, for joining us for another riveting conversation. Yep. Um, catch us on Twitter at DibDogPod. Uh, you can get us on YouTube or at the normal... Well, I mean, you know, you us on, of course you get us on YouTube because you're watching us on YouTube. Ah, YouTube. Um, unless you're listening. But if you're listening, get us on YouTube. Get us on YouTube. Like below. Yeah. Subscribe. Hit all that. Yeah. Do it. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.